Do you remember your first communion? Some people are like, oh, I don't remember the first one, but there's pictures or something like that. I know uh, each morning when I, I come downstairs, there's a, a, a bookshelf that has books, has a few pictures on it, and there's actually a picture of Kelsey's Nona at her first communion in Italy, and it's really, really cool and I'm sure a memorable moment. Um, I can actually remember uh, mine. I can remember mine. It, it was uh, nearly 30 years ago. This spring, it'll be 30 years, and, uh, and I know why, because just like a week and a half before, the Montreal Canadiens won the Stanley Cup, and I've been struggling with my faith ever since, um, in hockey, in that team, in, in the sport, uh, but Maple Leaf fans, I, I don't know if you understand that, but uh, it's been much longer that you've been struggling, but I remember my first communion, so when it was uh, 92, 93, that whole year, uh, Father David at the uh, Anglican Church in, in Devon, um, he led me and some of my peers through confirmation classes. I grew up going to the Anglican church my grandmother took me to, she, she drugged me to. And, uh, and so after a year of, of study and, and kind of tests and, and prayer and all of that, um, many of us were, were ready for this kind of ceremony and it was the first opportunity for us to, to come forward and actually a bishop came and laid hands on us and we put our right hand over our left and we got to receive communion uh, with real wine, by the way, for the first time. And so it, it was definitely a memorable experience. And uh, it doesn't look, uh, well, maybe it does look 30 years old now, uh, but I received this Bible on that day. And uh, it's the first Bible that was mine that had my name in it, and I can see the date uh, is June 20th, 1993. And so um, there's this little tag here that represents kind of a, a bookmark. You can put it wherever. Some, sometimes people don't use them. Sometimes I, I actually have tons of different bookmarks, but in this, uh, my first Bible... It was in here on Psalm 23, and I remember just how meaningful it was to me and still is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And you might have... Uh, memorized it in this exact uh, version before, uh, or, or maybe you've read it in, in tons of different ones, but perhaps you've heard it numerous times. I think if uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is kind of like the wedding ceremony uh, verses and, and passage, then perhaps the 23rd Psalm is, is one for funerals and one for um, daily encouragement and things like that. And so it's been very meaningful uh, for me over the years and in the context of the table that he prepares for us today is a day that we we look at the table, we get ready to come, we're invited to a table that he has prepared for us. Well, we're in this series, and it's called Starting Lines, and the idea here, and we'll look at these chairs in just a moment, the idea is that every next step in your faith journey is a new starting line. 
And so we like to think of it ready, set, go, whatever the thing is. And we've been talking about this, that if you're in seat one, it's a seeker. And Dr. Dan Spader, uh, he actually has a whole book on this. He led his elders, his church through this. Um, I got to be on a Zoom with him and a number of other ministers to learn from him and ask him questions. The idea is that at one moment, Jesus says, uh, just come and see. Come and see, and, and it goes back to the time that Simon Peter's brother Andrew actually was following Jesus. He was actually stalking Jesus, and then Jesus turned around, and he's like, what do you want? He's like, well, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, come and see, and that's one of the reasons that uh, it's talked of that way, a seeker, someone just to, to see who Jesus is, what he's about. But it doesn't stay there because there needs to be a new starting line in your faith where all of a sudden you become a believer where Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. Follow me and be my disciple. And a few weeks ago we learned that it's follow me and obey me. Not just follow me and then just sit in this chair, which by the way, the first week of the series I sat in these chairs and some of you were sweating. I'm not going to sit in them today. They'll probably break. Uh, But it doesn't end at at just follow me and be my disciple. It's follow me and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And so when you get over here, the term Dr. Dan Spader uses is worker, someone who serves, um, not just for the purpose of evangelism, but it's part of the discipleship journey in serving. And then when you get over to this final chair, the idea, uh, think of the Great Commission, or, or think of I am the vine, you are the branches, you must go and produce much and lasting fruit. The idea is that you would go and make disciples. And so it starts with come and see, and then it moves down to follow me, be my disciple, then it goes to, I'm going to make you fish for people, and then it doesn't end there. It's go and make disciples, produce much and lasting fruit. Well, the thing that we noticed almost a year ago is that there's something that happens kind of in between. There's something that happens as you're just about to become a believer that you find out Jesus is the king, and I love my king. But it doesn't end there. You continue to love your king, but then something changes in your heart. You start to love the things that your king loves, and then you start to love your church. And then you're willing to serve each other and beyond, and it doesn't stay there. That You start to love your city and beyond. You start to love the things that Jesus loves. And so no matter what it is, we were learning just last week about some of the micro steps, whether it's giving. Uh, or, or a number of other things, uh, some of the more uh, intangible things of what does it mean to show uh, love and mercy to someone else. That, that you can't put it in a box, you can't put it in an envelope necessarily, but there's a moment where, whether it's baptism, if you're a believer, and by the way, next week is a great opportunity, we've got someone signed up and ready to get baptized, we're going to dunk you in the tank. That is a next step in your faith journey. You, you've become a believer, you love your king, you want to be obedient to him, And we want to be obedient to the Lord because as he's called us to go and make disciples, the the full verse there is to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we, we take that seriously. So we want to take you on a journey and the idea is that you should follow through with whatever God has for you. Whatever he's asking you to do, you should follow through. And so today we're going to talk about forgiveness. The table should remind us of that and hopefully of much more. And so forgive, the idea of forgive is to let go of, kind of to open your hand to release. That's an idea that we're going to look at today. So right away, if, if God's already prompting you, if you know, oh, I, I, I'm here or, or, or some, maybe I'm in the middle here or I want to get over here, but I know that I need to forgive, do it. Uh, we would encourage you, if someone is coming to your heart and mind right now that you need to forgive, release them. 
you'll feel so much better for it, even in the obedience that you have to forgiving because we are meant to forgive the way that Jesus forgives. And so we encourage you to do that. Amen. Amen. Uh, the Last Supper is, uh, is recorded in, actually in all four gospel accounts in, in somewhat different ways. Uh, we call it the Lord's Supper. Um, we call it the Last Supper. We call it the Lord's Table. We call it communion, uh, breaking of bread, the cup of blessing, uh, Eucharist in, in the tradition I grew up in, uh, every Sunday, Holy Eucharist at 1030. And so you would come and, and the minister would lead us through this. Although the table wasn't in front of us, it was an altar. The table was, was back uh, up on what would be the platform. And he would lead us through that, but then we would come up to an altar and, and, and receive communion that way. And so we do this, and I've even seen on, on different communion tables in, in, in different churches where it might even say, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says that in Luke's gospel. Well, we're doing this in remembrance because we're remembering the last supper that Jesus had with his initial disciples, but we're also looking forward. We're looking, we're kind of in between right now the last supper and the feast in the kingdom that he has talked about. And so let's read it together. Uh, we're in Mark's gospel for, for this short uh, passage here, and then we're going to unpack a little bit of the surrounding passages. So I'm in Mark 14, and uh, starting in verse 22, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which, is a, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives, which I think we're actually on the Mount of Olives, all of that, this property here. And so it's actually a different one just for the record, but um, some of you get that. Uh, this is the Lord's Supper, and, and there's so many different ways that we could dive into this and, and look at it, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John's uh, account. They're a little bit different. But what's unique about it is what, what's surrounding the Lord's Supper in all of them, betrayal is, is part of it. And at the end of, of the sermon, I'm going to lead us through the words of institution before we take part in communion. And Paul remind us on the night he was betrayed. And so betrayal is part of it. Actually, at the dinner just before the passage we read, he says to the group, one of you will betray me. And they're all looking around, not I. I'm not going to do that. Not only betrayal, but just after they take part in this denial, he's saying that one of you is going to deny me. And Peter would be like, even if everyone else does, I will not. But all of them, he says, will abandon him. And so it's betrayal, it's denial, it's abandonment. He says, one of you will betray me, one of you will deny me, and all of you will abandon me. And they can't believe it. They can't believe that this would be the end. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, if I could paraphrase his words for a moment, he was speaking to some young men in seminary getting ready to go into the ministry, and he, he looked at them and said, prepare your hearts for betrayal. 
prepare your hearts for betrayal. That's an encouraging word for those getting ready to go and lead a ministry for and in the name of Jesus. Uh, The idea here is that not only Jesus has faced betrayal, but we all have in a different way, and and those sometimes in ministry uh, closest with the most amount of people have the just the odds are in their favor or against their favor to have the opportunity to struggle with that and, and feel that. Jesus is vulnerable here at the table, in the garden, which we're about to see, and on the cross. He's, he's more vulnerable than he ever has shared, and he's sharing it with the, the disciples. What I love is the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, that he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Actually, a little bit later in, in Mark's uh, gospel here, it's when he's in the, the garden. And this is probably um, the most heartfelt thing he ever shared with his disciples. He says that my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Some people comment about how it's very similar to the Psalms, but maybe heightened Uh, There's definitely some psalms, whether David or another writer is talking about some brutal things going on. Uh, Sometimes your own people have betrayed you, and they're coming after you, and it seems like this this may be your final hour. Well, what what Jesus is saying here, the original language, apparently many comment on how it's heightened. It's above anything that David had ever written, and and here is, is just the most vulnerable that he's ever been, and we get to kind of see this before he goes on the journey of the next several hours, uh, his final moments as he's heading to the cross. Not only is that a moment of vulnerability, but then in, in, in prayer that, that others are able to hear and then it's recorded for us, uh, only in Mark's gospel does he use the term Abba, Father, that, that very intimate, it's as, as intimate as he could be between he and his heavenly Father. And he says, Abba, Father, and essentially he says, your will be done, not mine. Because in this moment, he knows what he has to do. He knows why he's here. He knows what's about to happen and the toil that it's going to take on him physically and emotionally. Yet he knows, although the father could find another way, this is the way that that it has to be. And so he's saying, but not your will. Not my will, excuse me, but yours be done. I think it's a good reminder that um, as Jesus is on the the cross, um, the last words that we have in Mark's gospel, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And at first, uh, listen, some people uh, like us might might think he's he's simply just praying to the Lord. Um, Something a little bit more is happening there. It's actually uh, quoting uh, from Psalm 22. In the first uh, few verses of that say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? And uh, if you were to, to continue to read that, others in, in the language that he was speaking, they, they thought that he was actually calling on the prophet Elijah for, for help. Um, but in this moment, could it be two things? Could it be him uh, literally sharing this psalm, but in a prayerful way to his father, as as he's already felt and he already was betrayed at this point. He's been denied and and deserted by uh, those closest to him, even Peter. And now his his father, who he's been praying to in the garden, who he's intimate with, 
all of a sudden he feels like he's far away. And others get to hear this and, and see this, and this is the most vulnerable that he could ever be. I think it's also important to, to realize and be reminded because some of us, I remember not just at my first communion, but in, in the church that I grew up in, it wasn't just a cross on a stage. It was a, a crucifix. It was carved out of wood, and, and you could see someone's portrayal of, of Jesus, and you could see hand, his hands were, were pierced, his feet uh, were pierced. You could see a crown of thorns. Um, but many, as, as graphic as it could be, don't often uh, realize what happened before that moment, that actually Jesus was flogged with a lead-tipped whip 39 times because 40 was one too many for even the Romans to do to a person. And then he was crucified. So he actually suffered a great deal before the moments that we picture uh, representing the sacrifice that he made for us. And so as I read through um, not just the, the 23rd Psalm, as I did at the beginning of our sermon here, uh, but earlier this week I read through a few times Psalm 22 and, and made this connection that Actually, our shepherd prayed Psalm 22 so that we could pray Psalm 23. It's meaningful to see that our, our, our shepherd, he's actually the lamb of God. He's the one that was willing to sacrifice on our behalf. And he was willing to go through that, to be betrayed, to be denied, to be abandoned, even feeling that way between him and his heavenly father. And so he, he did that on our behalf. As Jesus was talking and actually quoting scripture to his disciples, uh, there's a moment here in chapter 14 where he's actually quoting from a prophet of the Old Testament, and he's saying that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. I've read this a, a, a number of times, and, and sometimes when we get to Easter Sunday, we hear about the women going to the tomb first, because women are often first, and so they get there first, and they're instructed, remember what, what Jesus uh, told the disciples to, to go and meet him. He's going to meet them there in Galilee. And I'm like, when did he say that? He said it here. He said it on the night he was betrayed. He said it, and he, he set this up saying, yeah, this is all going to happen, but there's, there's actually more. So he's foreshadowing that he will rise, but he has to go through this first. Not only that, but he has something to unpack for the disciples when he gets there. I love at the end of, of Luke's gospel, which isn't unlike Matthew's gospel where he talks about the Great Commission, but we often just jump and think that that's, that's it. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey everything I've taught you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But at the end of Luke's gospel... He's talking about going and sharing this message, and this is the specific message that he shares. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. That is good news. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. But he continues to say, you are all witnesses. You are witnesses of all these things. The way I translate that is that, hey, you who needed forgiveness... Remember how I forgave you? Remember that? And so this is an important reminder for all of us that it's not just about the message of forgiveness, but the practice of forgiveness. Not just coming forward to receive forgiveness, 
from Jesus or from our, our Heavenly Father, but actually to share forgiveness when it's time to release someone else to actually do that. And this is the complicated thing. Last week, we were learning about that step of no matter what the step is, but let's say that it had to do with giving, with tithing. It's not about your wallet. It's about your heart. And it's about if that, if, if that is uh, attached to your heart, you need it to release you so that you can basically offer your entire self to Jesus. But it's more than that because Jesus was saying, yeah, you should tithe, but you should also show justice. You should also care for others. You should love mercy. You should love me. And remember the, the previous things I already asked you to do, that you should, you should care for these others. And it's a little bit messy because we'd rather it just be math. 10%, you can put it in a box. But he's saying, it's a little messier than that, but that's what I want you to do. And so it's harder to put a starting line on that. But if we're refusing to do that, uh, we're not off the hook. We, we actually need to, to go back and do the thing that God already asked us to do. And so the message of forgiveness is also wrapped up in the practice of forgiveness. And who better to learn it from? Not just the words of Jesus, but the actions of Jesus. It was uh, 2002, and I, I got to go to a movie. And uh, I don't know about you that when you had a... Uh, a book to read, a book report to do. Did you ever get like either the Coles notes or did you ever ask a friend for, for their uh, uh, summary or, or did you ever watch the movie instead of the book? They're never the same, but have you ever done that? Is it just me? Uh, no, a few of you did that. Okay, you can confess later. Um, but for me, um, you know, the book had been out over 100 years before this, this particular movie, this e exact version was created. But have you ever read or seen the movie The Count of Monte Cristo? So in 2002, I had heard about this. My friends wanted to go see it. And so I didn't know anything about it. We were just going to a movie. And who doesn't love getting popcorn and all the butter and all the, all the goodies? It, it costs more for the popcorn than it does the movie. But either way, it's still pretty fun to do. So I went. There was an actor I, I didn't really recognize by the name of, of Jim Caviezel. And as we're watching this, this movie un, unfold, and again, it's a book that was over 100 years old. And uh, kind of stood the test of time because there's just so many movies about this theme. Someone is wronged by someone close to them and they want to get even. You know, I, I think there's just so many stories that we gravitate towards um, for, for these reasons. It, there's kind of, it, it fuels a fire for revenge. Uh, vengeance is something that, that sells a lot of books and a lot of movies. So as I watched this movie, I, I will admit I enjoyed uh, the movie, uh, but, but not for, for the reasons that I should, because it, it kind of fuels you up, and you want this character to get even, and then some. And so that's Jim Caviezel, who's playing this character in 2002. Well, just two years later, in 2004, I'm sitting in a theater again, this time not with popcorn. It didn't seem appropriate. But the same actor is in a movie called The Passion of the Christ. And maybe some of you have watched it, maybe you haven't. And it's, it's a movie um, that essentially is about the, the last uh, moments uh, that Jesus experienced. And, and they're, they're trying to take, you know, within reason, uh, biblical and historical accuracy, but also obviously an artistic uh, twist because none of us were there to see it 
firsthand. But as I was watching this and, and that moment where Jesus is, is flogged, it's, it's hard to um, be, be fueled up and fired up in the way that I was about that movie two years previous because now instead of getting excited, there's probably tears in my eyes. The difference here is that often we get really excited about vengeance and we feel like that is just. And uh, we might not like to admit it in real life, but at least in the movies we get to act out or we get to sense that and cheer on a character for something like that. But in the Passion of the Christ, instead of getting vengeance uh, when it might have seemed appropriate in Hollywood standards for Jesus, he actually said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So this same actor got to play two very different characters. They couldn't be more unlike. But here, two years later, he's actually the one offering forgiveness instead of seeking vengeance. And I think there's a, a theme there. I think it's important because as much as I can see, revenge is a hunger. And it's a hunger that you cannot truly satisfy, but forgiveness is a feast. And I capitalized that, that in my own personal notes because Jesus is foreshadowing not, not just a, a feast here uh, today. This isn't uh, a feast per se, but it's foreshadowing a future one that doesn't have anything to do with vengeance, quite the opposite. It has everything to do with forgiveness. And so if I could say, you know, uh, which version of, of Jim Caviezel should you be in that acting sense? Don't be the 2002 Jim be the 2004, the one who is willing to forgive. And that's taking on the character of Jesus. Uh, this week I was listening to an interview of, a, of an international chef and he was quoting um, this old French saying that came from someone who was, in, um, who was uh, really into food. They said it this way and to translate, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. That was a French saying from the 1700s. Tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. Well, I would put it this way. Tell me how you forgive and I will tell you who you are. Because the way we forgive says a lot about who we are. And I say that if we're Christians, if we're truly disciples, if we're taking it seriously, this one who said, come and see, and we're investigating how Jesus forgave and that he's offering it, but he's also demonstrating to us how we should forgive others and what it means and the importance of that, and that eventually we would go and, and share to the world, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Let's show you what that is like. Let us show you not just how Jesus did it, but how we, disciples of Jesus, do it. Church is meant to be a culture of forgiveness. You've heard it said before, uh, forgiven people forgive people. It, it's that simple that if we uh, are, are really serious about the words and the actions of Jesus and we're to follow in his footsteps and to be obedient in the way uh, that he instructed us, uh, then we would be people who forgive, even when people don't deserve it. We'd be willing to let go of, we would be willing to release. I think the most challenging text for me with that is in Matthew's gospel. And I've definitely tried to teach on this before, and it is a struggle. Uh, remember when Peter came to Jesus, and, and we heard a preacher just a few weeks ago at the gathering say, 
He came asking a number of Jesus, but he already had a number in mind. As in, he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Uh, the, The preacher that we heard, Albert Tate, he said, you know, he was already at six, and he was just like, one, just one more, right? Is that okay? This per- like, I'm, you're done after this. Like, I'm done. Uh, and remember, Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And it's not really about math, but it's about, uh, imagine a Costco amount of forgiveness. It's enough that, you know, you're not going to run out of toilet paper anytime soon, that, that kind of forgiveness. Um, so if, if you could have that kind of, that amount of forgiveness that uh, might require a membership, uh, yeah, not just six or seven times, but much, much, much more. But Jesus doesn't end just by answering it. He actually goes on to share this story of this, this king who he was bringing his accounts up to date, and essentially he goes to someone who owed him millions of dollars, and uh, from my previous study, it, it essentially meant that it would take lifetimes if he worked around the clock to be able to pay this back, but this, this person who was in debt to this king, he, he pleaded with him. He got down on his knees and he says, please be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Now, he couldn't have done that. We just know from study. But the point is, he just realized, like, I, I'll do whatever I can. Well, the king decides to let him off the hook and he actually released him. He, he took pity on him. He released him. He forgave him the debt. So not only did he just let him off the hook, but he's like, no, there's no more debt. And that would have been a beautiful story, but unfortunately, Jesus continues, and he says that this man found a fellow servant who owed him just a few thousand dollars, like it would have been a few days, maybe even a few weeks pay, but, but it wouldn't have been lifetime upon lifetime of debt. There's supposed to be less about math and more about just one was insurmountable and, and the other was like more reasonable. And this, this man also had someone come before him and pled, please forgive me, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you back. But he wouldn't forgive this person. He wouldn't release him. Instead, he wanted him imprisoned. The challenge with this is that the king finds out. And he's upset with this person that he let off the hook because of how he treated the next person who he had the opportunity to and he didn't take it. And the king says, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't we have mercy on one another? We know the debt. We don't have to look into it. Uh, You don't want to see my previous record, and I don't want to see yours. We don't need to, but we've been forgiven a, a great deal. And the king is trying to get a point across to us. Well, is it six or seven times? Is eight too many No, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? We've received this, and the disciples that got to hear from Jesus, yeah, go and share this message. Declare it everywhere you go that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You're witnesses of this. As in, you've experienced my forgiveness, not just my teaching on it. And so you've been forgiven, so go and walk in that. And forgive others. Please release them. Don't just share the message, demonstrate the message. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? 
That's it. That could be a next step today. And so my question is, who do you have to forgive? Maybe you've already been a seeker and you've come to see. And, and when Jesus, you felt him personally saying, follow me and be my disciple. You're like, I'm all in. But last week we were looking at maybe there was a moment where you were on track and then you got stuck. You stalled in being obedient to something that you knew God had for you. And you really, you desperately want to get to these other places that we've been looking at week after week. But for some reason, you, you didn't just stall, but because you delayed too long, you got stuck and you want to be obedient in this other thing, but you realize there's a thing that you need to be obedient in first, something God already asked you to do. And if it's forgiveness, we want to encourage you to follow through. We want you to be able to, to release, and, and sometimes it's more complicated than that. As we're getting ready to, to close, I would say... Um, the, the first and, and maybe hardest time uh, that, that I encountered this is somewhat related to, there's a lot of things that I could look back on and be embarrassed about. This perhaps, if regret is too strong of a word, I wish I found another one, but uh, the only thing you should really regret is, is not getting those Taylor Swift tickets. You know what I mean? If, if that could be your biggest re regret, you'd be doing well. Thanks, Ticketmaster, too soon? No, I don't know. But if, if that could be your biggest regret, that's not too bad. Uh, but for me, I knew immediately when I was at Riverside Camp, uh, the day that I was saved, the day that I was called into ministry, the day that it all became crystal clear, I needed to forgive my father, who I didn't know, who I didn't even know where he lived, I didn't have his number, but I knew and I shared it with other people. I didn't understand accountability at the time, but as I shared with other people, I said, listen, I know I need to do this, and I was, I was ready to do it in my heart, but I wanted to do it at least over the phone, if not in person. And so my friends prayed with me. A few months later, my birthday, the first time I can remember I received a birthday card. Sorry, I've shared this before and some of you already know, but I received the, this card and, and it's, it's kind of surreal uh, in that situation. And when you're an adolescent, uh, um, you can't really control all of your emotions, maybe some of them uh, for moments, but, but not all of them. Um, but it was a frustrating experience to receive this and feel like, okay, now I have the opportunity to, to reach out, uh, but I delayed. And unfortunately, uh, as I, I went to, to Bethany Bible College that next year, and, and as I began, I one day got a phone call that he had passed. And so unfortunately, I didn't have the luxury of getting on the phone or, or, or going in person and being able to do that. And so that, if it's not too extreme a word, would be a regret. However, I knew what the Lord was doing in my heart, and I knew that I had already released him in my heart. And so I wish that I got the opportunity to look him in the face and say, it doesn't matter. You're off the hook. But it's not the way it turned out. But I, I share that in the initial journey that I was on, and, and I didn't know about Dr. Dan Spader and, and his model at the time, but I was trying my best to take the next step as it came to me, and that was a big first one for me to be able to forgive. And forgiveness doesn't happen just one time. There are opportunities all the time for someone to, at least for it to feel like you're betrayed or, or someone has denied you or abandoned you. And those are deep things, and the Lord knows it better and as well as, as the best of us could. And so I share that in these are difficult things, and we're about to come before 
the table uh, to partake in, in communion. And so I want to create space for this. Um, I'm going to open these up in just a moment. I'm, I'm going to read what the Apostle Paul shares with us. <clears throat> and um, as the team leads us in a couple songs, we're not going to stand up here and, and wait. If you need to pray in your seat, uh, please do so. If you want to contemplate and, and even look at the scriptures or, or, or be reminded of, of what the Lord has done and maybe something that the Lord um, illuminated to you out of this message, if you want to consider the lyrics of, of the songs that we're about to sing and, and then come forward. If you'd like to come forward and, and grab the elements, uh, there's even gluten-free in the center right here, and you want to come forward to an altar or, or to take it back to your seat, whatever you want to do, uh, we want to give you the space to do that. But realizing that it's, it's not just a message of forgiveness, and it's not just a means of grace, but a reminder of the practice of forgiveness that we should continue just like Jesus. Paul says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, on the night when he was betrayed, when he was denied by those closest to him, on the night when he was abandoned, deserted, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And so as we give each other the space to do this and we're mindful of the sacrifice that made this possible, we don't just come to receive forgiveness, but we also want to extend forgiveness to others. Father, we just commit this time to you and we thank you for the message, but also for how you modeled this in such a powerful way. And we thank you that we get a glimpse into the vulnerability you experienced and that you understand the struggles that we go through and you understand the heartbreak and, and the pain and the hurt and the discouragement. And in spite of all that, you continued to fulfill what needed to happen and you did it with us in mind. Even if we didn't deserve it, we thank you that you did this to, to release us from, from a debt that would take us lifetime upon lifetime to try to pay back and still we really couldn't. And so God, help us not just to, to realize that in a fresh way, but to realize when others have hurt us and it might seem like it should take uh, a lot to pay back, that would you encourage us and empower us to not just share the message, but would you help us to release others of, of that? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>